day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Uh, good to have you back. Hour number two, JT with you. Hope you had a great weekend, everybody. Raider Nation Radio, right here on 920 AM in that beautiful Raiders app as we welcome in new partners. We have a new tequila company, Ihole. We're excited about also the Raiders Tavern and Grill, a proud partner of the show. We'll be doing some programming there. We're excited about that. We are welcoming in Modelo, the official beer here of the show, which we're excited about. You know I love a cerveza. Excited about the news we have coming up with Modelo and all our great advertising, including Sam and Ash and Bell Solar and Remy Martin and PTs that fuels the monologue. So good things happening with the show as hopefully we're going to get out on the road here soon as Bobby and I are ready officially to get back into the studio together. And I don't know how long it's been, Bobby. We said last week it's been I've seen you, but it's been about is it six months, seven months since we've been in studio during COVID protocol, so uh, it's time I'm, to get the band back together. I'm thinking September last year, maybe. Yeah, yeah no, I think. Well, yeah, I, I forget exactly when it was. I, I think but, you were here for the first couple of like the first month of Raider Nation, and then they moved everybody out again. Yeah, Am I right. Oh, well, yeah. Again, I, I'm used to being at home now, and it's actually been a really unique opportunity to be from home. But I want to get back into the studio, and we'll be doing several more broadcasts from the Raiders facility, especially na- next week. Leading into next Thursday, and we'll fill you in uh, what we're doing with the Raiders as the Raiders bring us in the loop and tell us what we're going to be doing here on the flagship station. Tim Neverett, voice of the Dodgers. What a job. Tim started in Vegas, big Vegas guy. He texted Bobby. He's going to jump in on that series. As we're talking sports, I'm talking Raiders. But again, I mix in the NBA. The biggest story anywhere around the world in sports is the new Super League of World Soccer uh, in Europe. If you're not familiar with what's happening there, that is 10 times bigger than the NFL draft and the NBA combined. As now there's going to be a break into a Super League of Soccer with the top teams in the Premier League, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Everybody's going nuts overseas. And I like talking about stuff that's big, and that's big. This show, we want to give you the biggest topics every day. If it's the Raiders on certain days, you'll get it. If it's not... We're moving on to Golden Knights and some other things, and I think the Padres and the Dodgers, not only did they play over the weekend, great series, as I was cranky Yankee, crying in my Yankee beer. Uh, They play Thursday through Sunday of this week. So the Dodgers and the Padres play a lot of games this year. It is going to be fun. So my wife and my youngest son and I flew to Oklahoma to see my son in college. That's always been a dream of mine. Uh, My oldest is 19. He's a sophomore at the University of Oklahoma, so we got a chance to go there and hang out with his fraternity brothers. It was parents' weekend and got a chance to do what I always wanted to do, play beer pong out of a red Solo cup and hang out with a bunch of fraternity kids who were going through what I went through when I was in college, and it was a lot of fun. I bought an, I actually tweeted out a picture. I bought a fishbowl for the guys in the bar. A fishbowl is a bowl, a fishbowl, full of your favorite liqueurs uh, mixed in one no I did not drink the whole thing nor would I I was just the proud dad buying and that was a funny story at the end of one of the nights we were out 
and the kids who are able to get into the bars there or wink, wink, the kids are able to have a good time. Uh, I put my credit card up at the bar and it's so different than Vegas. If I put my credit card up at the bar in Vegas for an hour and told a bunch of people to just go get what you want, it would probably cost me 2000 bucks. I'm not exaggerating. It cost me 1000 bucks in Vegas. There, it's like 130 bucks, And you sit around and you go, man, this is how it is outside of Vegas. Speaking of Vegas, uh, we're ready to open. From what they tell me, I don't know what that means for sports. We had Bill Foley on a month ago, a little over a month ago, and he told me that he wanted to be sold out for the NHL playoffs. And I started looking at the numbers. When you get to 20% capacity, you're supposed to go to 40. And if you double 40, you're at 80. And you should be right at 100. I still don't understand the legalities of what's happening and why there aren't more Golden Knight fans in the building. Patrick Marlowe is going to play tonight in Las Vegas and play the most hockey games ever played. He's breaking Gordie Howe's record tonight in Las Vegas. That should be in front of 18,000 fans. And then how does that reflect with what the Raiders are doing? And how the Raiders are going to be able to open up Allegiant Stadium. The good news is before the Raiders open up, we'll know everything with Garth Brooks. As Garth Brooks is going to be here. And his concert has been canceled twice. And now the third time should be the charm for 100% capacity. Cover of the Las Vegas Review Journal today on the opening of Resorts World. The $5 billion casino resort. Okay, The stadium costs $2 billion football stadium this property up to five billion dollars that's opening on time it looks like virgin hotels opened i was at the grand opening for that we've been down at circa circa does a lot with sports i've been over there and everybody's now waiting for what the governor's going to do and what's going to happen with full capacity if you've been traveling to vegas you've noticed it's been a little bit looser and there's been more and more people out there when i was just in oklahoma this past weekend it was pretty packed It was pretty packed, and we're starting to see the economy open up again. We need the economy to open safely in Las Vegas so we can get our convention business going and our live sports going. It's very important. I don't believe that sports works at less than 100% capacity. I don't. I've been to a couple of sporting events uh, during COVID, including NASCAR, and it's just not fun when you have 20% of the people there. And I believe that there's a level of apathy happening now around the world in sports where more and more people are not used to going to live sporting events anymore. So when you tell them they can go, it's going to take a while for people to get going. Other than the Golden Knights, we are a great test city here in Vegas because once the Golden Knights are at full capacity, the season ticket holders and the fans are going to go full capacity instantly. Same with the Raiders. The Raiders lost their first season with fans. So the second they're at full capacity, it's going to be sold out. But that doesn't work with other sports around the NBA, from Minnesota to New Orleans, baseball stadium. If you told the Oakland A's tomorrow they could be at full capacity, do you think they'd be at full capacity, 50,000? No. So there are some fans that are going to need some runway space to get double vaccinated to say, yeah, I can go. I want to go, and we need this to happen now especially with the NFL draft. The NFL draft will be in Cleveland. So I saw it. I looked at NFL.com. They showed pictures of that big stage that they've opened up and how it's going to be outside, but it's going to be at somewhat of a limited capacity. So after the draft comes, we should all be pulling for Cleveland as a brotherhood and sisterhood. We need 
Cleveland to hit a home run with the draft because Nashville had over 600,000 fans. Cleveland's not going to have that many, but they're going to pull off the draft outside. And then we get it next year where we're going to have a million. We want to have a million people on the strip. So everybody's got to pull together. And I think it's going to be great. If you know who the Raiders are going to take at number 17, let me know. I got a list of players. I'm, I'm trying to whittle down the players for the Raiders to about five. Five players that I think they could take. And it'll probably be more like seven or eight. But those five to seven or eight players, four of them are offensive linemen. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, Christian Dowisaw, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. Uh, I look at Micah Parsons, the linebacker out of Penn State. Uh, I'm very excited to see Quiddy Pay or Jalen Phillips, the edge rushers out of one Jalen Phillips out of Miami, Quiddy Pay out of Michigan, if they're available. And, you know, that's where I'm going. I'm going with the Raiders at right tackle, linebacker, or edge rusher. So I'm going to do my job. I'm going to whittle this list down to about seven guys. And hopefully we get it right. And hopefully you help me along the way if you can. 702-365-9200. Happy he is now available for us. The voice of the Dodgers on TV and radio. Our good Vegas friend, Tim Neverett, kind enough to join us on Raider Nation Radio. And Tim, I was thinking of you. Dodgers-Padres over the weekend. It looked fantastic. The rivalry again. It's been a while since there's been a rivalry in this series up to now. How do you see it? Well, it's the, it's the current thing right now. And I, I, I think that when you look at the rivalry situation, it's just that these two teams now are, are both very good. The Padres oftentimes have not been that good when they played the Dodgers. Uh, and uh, when you look at the record, <laughs> there's evidence of that. The win-loss Dodgers to Padres. But Padres are going for it. You know, I, I think I told you before, uh, a while ago, maybe during spring training, that it's fun, and I'm glad the Padres did what they did because they're making baseball very interesting in Southern California for sure. And you know, we got 16 more of these games, including four this weekend. So, or the, this week coming up, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun at Dodger Stadium too. And uh, it was really, really wild, and uh, I think a preview of what we're going to see for the rest of the year when these two match up from what we saw this weekend. And, Tim, you've called a lot of games in multiple sports. When you see a rivalry where both teams embrace it, I like that. The fist pumps on the mound, getting out of innings and lifting your teammates up. This feels like a playoff atmosphere early in the season. And I give the Padres a lot of credit. They're in the arms race. They'll spend the money on the roster to try to keep up with the Dodgers, and their young talent seems to be on an emotional high. They're embracing this rivalry. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, for the Padres, they, they've been on the losing side more often. And, you know, that goes back to last season and it goes back to the to the playoffs where they were swept in the division series and, uh, you know, by the Dodgers. And, uh, you know, I think they, they look at it like this is our rival because they've been positioned geographically in Southern California hoping to be the Dodgers' rival. But still, when it gets down to it, the Dodgers' rival will still be the Giants. And that comes all the way back from the New York days. It's still going to be like that. Um, I mean, we've seen years in the past where, you know, Red Sox-Yankees are always going to be Red Sox-Yankees, but there have been years when they've had some pretty good rivalry matchups and rivalry season series with the Blue Jays, uh, I think, in the 1980s and, and, and 90s. And, uh, you know, so 
this is the rivalry right now, the current thing that's going on, but it'll always be Dodgers-Giants, I think, as far as the Dodgers are concerned. Tim Neverett is our guest. Tim, tell me about Trevor Bauer. He got a no decision. 98 pitches, 7 Ks. Man, when he throws downhill and the movement on that curveball, what have you seen so far from him this year? Yeah, he's got some great stuff. Uh, He deserved a better fate from the way that he pitched, certainly. Six innings, he allowed only three hits. Uh, One of them uh, was a home run. But other than that, I mean, he was untouchable. Uh, seven strikeouts. He got uh, some pop-ups and ground outs. The breaking ball is very, very good. He was landing it in all different parts of the strike zone too. Uh, and then when he wanted the fastball, he reached back and just pumped it past people. Uh, you know, I, I think of the, the first batter of the game, Jerickson Profar, you know, Profar last night was involved in a situation where he was accused of intentionally hitting Austin Barnes catcher's mitt and drawing catcher's interference. And I got to tell you, I've never, ever in my life seen a hitter hit the catcher's glove when the ball was already in the glove. Um, Usually when you're swinging with intent, you're going to beat, you know, the the, the ball's not going to be in the glove yet. (laughs) But this this ball was in the glove for like half an hour before he actually made contact. So it was a really strange situation. I didn't say he did it intentionally or not. It was just odd. But, you know, you figured something might happen in the first pitch of the game. Bauer goes way inside, backs him up, and then he ends up pumping a fastball by him to strike him out uh, to to finish off the at-bat. And that was, you know, you can see the excitement that Bauer brings. Uh, You know, 98 pitches, I'd say a good chunk of them were good. 64 of those strikes. Uh, Bauer was very, very good. He's exciting when he pitches. He's fun to watch. And you know that whenever he gets on the mound, no matter who it's against, the Dodgers have a great chance to win that game. Voice of the Dodgers, Tim Neverett, longtime friend. Good to talk to him. And the Dodgers are playing four with the Padres coming up Thursday through Sunday of this week. Tim, I love this topic because I lived in San Diego for eight years. I lived in L.A. for ten. So I know the area well, and I've been to Dodgers, Padres in both venues. This is still a problem for the Padres. There was a trending it went viral. There were Padre tickets available, and it's limited capacity, but they're really expensive because Dodger fans are coming into that market and buying the tickets, and there are a lot of Dodger fans in Southern California and in around San Diego, and I'm used to this with the Raiders. When the Raiders go into L.A., they buy all the Chargers tickets. Charger fans don't even want to deal with the Raider fans, so they sell them their <laughs> tickets. What's the backstory yeah. this year on this? Because Padre fans have no excuse now. Those tickets should not be available in abundance for Dodger fans who are going to gobble up any ticket they can get at Petco. I agree. When um, Blake Snell threw over to first base a couple of times in a row, I think uh, Mookie Betts was on first, Uh, (laughs) and he's getting booed for throwing to first in his own ballpark, getting booed loudly because of the number of Dodger fans that are there. Uh, These are things that I, I don't know if there's an answer to it. I think the Padres' management this year has urged their season ticket holders not to sell their tickets. They've urged their ticket holders not to sell their tickets to Dodger fans. It's something that, you know, when it comes down to the almighty dollar changing hands, I don't know if it's ever going to change. Uh, Just a couple of days ago, I believe it was, where San Diego County increased the uh, possible attendance up to 33%. So there were more tickets available. Just happened to be during the Dodger series, so Dodger fans scooped them up. Uh, It's been known as Dodger Stadium South. Uh, for a long time, 
And, and you know, for, for the Padres, it's a great organization. They've got a great history. They really do. Um, if they could, I, I just don't know how you fix it. That's the thing. The Dodger fans, who also have an unbelievable history and you know an, an unbelievable fan base, uh, I, I just don't know how you keep them out of the ballpark. I don't know if there's a way. Yeah, you nailed it. It's the same thing with the Raiders, with the Chargers. Brand new stadium. There's going to be fifty, sixty thousand Raider fans. Period. And there's no debate about it. They just find a way to do it. And that's what's unique about that market there in San Diego. But they really have a good team. It's going to be great to see. Hey, Tim, last week I had our old friend Pete Rose on for his 80th birthday, the all-time hit king. And it was a really deep – he gave me 40 minutes, and it was a deep dive. And he got into Trout and Betts, and it was interesting. We were talking about who's the better ball player, and Pete really took it to Trout about him not winning. And, you know, Pete Rose won three world championships and played on great teams. And he said, Mookie Betts wins. He won with Boston. He's winning with the Dodgers now. What is that, what's that vibe like in Southern California now in the Betts-Trout world? Are Dodger fans paying attention to that? Or are they just happy they have Betts, who's arguably better than Trout, especially this year? I mean, I, I think they're so happy to have Mookie. They don't care what, yeah. what's going on outside the 3-2-3 or the 2-1-3s. You know, they don't really care. But um, I think there's a lot of respect for Trout. Uh, I'll tell you what, 2016, I want to say it was, uh, I was doing the Red Sox games, and Mookie Betts finished as the runner-up in the American League for the MVP. The Red Sox won the division. The Angels finished last in the American League West, and Trout won the MVP. And, And my thinking was, well, how good is that? Do you have to be? Uh, especially with East Coast bias, as we are both aware of, uh, to be on a, a last-place team and still win the MVP. Uh, that's how good Trout has been. But I, I do think Betts should have won it that year because not only was he, you know, dominant on the field, but he helped his team win. And, and I think that, that, you know, Pete has a great point. It comes down to, you know, not only how you play, but do you win? And Mookie wins. I mean, he's won two World Series in three seasons with two different ball clubs and two different leagues. Uh, Right now, he's got a first-place ball club, and he's playing center field as well as right field. He'll play center uh, off and on here with uh, Bellinger out for a little while. So uh, I I just – it's really hard to say who's the better one, but the one that I get to see all the time is the one that I would lean toward because he wins. And I I do agree with Pete Rose. If if you win ballgames – then you're a valuable player. Tim Neverett, as we wrap it up, voice of the Dodgers. Tim, does this team look better? I know it's early in the season, but just roster construction, bringing back the players, bringing back Justin Turner was huge. We talked about that. Do you think this team is technically better on paper? Because I don't know all the young talent and the players that they can potentially bring up the second half of the year. How do you see the roster from this year compared to the championship year last year? You know, I do see them as a better team right now because I think there's more depth in the bullpen. I think that uh, the young players right now that are getting a chance, a guy like Zach McKinstry out of Central Michigan University, mm-hmm. um, is is doing great right now. He's doing very, very well right now. Uh, Gavin Lux was doing great until he uh, banged up his wrist. They, they put him on the IL. He'll be back and he'll contribute heavily. He won the second base job out of spring training. I think he's going to do really well. Yeah, I mean, Justin Turner, what, five home runs, 16 runs batted in already? I mean, give me a break. I mean, this, this, 
you know, he was supposed to be washed up when he was with the Mets. <laughs> you know, look what he's been able to do. He's been incredible. But I do think that this team is a little bit more uh, deep. They bring up guys like Luke Raley, uh, who hadn't played in the big leagues before the other night, hit his first big league home run. Uh, you know, with Bellinger out, they have the depth to cover that position and and cover it well. And I just think that this team actually is better than the team that won the world championship last year. Hey, Tim, finally, we don't know when the CDC guidelines are going to change, but they're Dodger fans now. Everybody's saying that with uh, Governor Newsom in California that hopefully they'll be at full capacity at some point. Can you imagine if that's the case, what Dodger Stadium's going to be like in June, July, if it's July, August, with the way these fans are sensing that this is going to be a back-to-back season? I, I feel it already. I feel it in April that this has a chance to be one of the great seasons in Dodger history, and the fans are going to want to fill that place up to the corner of the upper deck. Yeah, I think uh, from what the news was that I got recently uh, that was that was published in Southern California is that uh, the governor apparently is going to lift all restrictions on June 15th. So at that point, uh, we'll see what happens at that point. If, if, if that happens or not, I mean, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that that will happen and that they can get 55,000 plus back in Dodger state. That place will be rocking. I agree with you. You know, you, you know what it's like, dude. you've seen it. And uh, you've got a world champion team that, that people didn't get to go watch in person last year. And they are chomping at the bit to get back to the ballpark and cheer this team on. I mean, it's just, uh, it, it's impossible to get tickets right now with the limited number that are available. Uh, but they're selling them all. And, uh, you know, they'll get back to it against the Padres on Thursday. But, you know, the, the Dodgers also have to keep in mind not to get involved in a trap series with Seattle. So they've got to take care of business and uh, interleague games in Seattle. And they got to forget about the Padres for 48 hours and then get right back to it on their own uh, home soil and then see what happens over the course of the weekend in the four-game series. It should be a blast at Dodger Stadium. Thanks, Tim. You know, I value your time. Great catching up with you. We'll do it a month from now when we can track you down again. Thanks so much. Yeah, anytime, JT. You got it. Thank you, Tim. Tim Neverett. Cool to get the voice of the Dodgers on. Look, there's a couple of voices of the Dodgers. It used to be Vince Scully who got his World Series ring. I don't know if you follow. How do you not follow Vince Scully on Twitter? Vince Scully got his Dodger championship ring. It's, it's an emotional photo if you're a Dodger fan. Then you got Charlie Steiner. I think Tim Everett's a better play by I know Tim Everett's a better play-by-play voice than Charlie Steiner. Not even close. So Tim's always texting me and saying he listens to the show locally and then to my national show. So we'll get him on. And the Dodgers look head and shoulders better than everybody in baseball by a lot. By a lot. And there's some good teams out there. I'm cranky Yankee with that. And I'm happy Tim talked about attendance because the Padres are the Chargers, but they're better. The Chargers moved to L.A. And when the Raiders played the Chargers, so this year the Raiders have nine home games. No, they don't. They have ten. This is a very important topic to me on how Vegas picked the Raiders over under to be seven and a half games. And they're normally right. Last year they set the Raiders at seven. They won eight. This year they set the Raiders at seven and a half, which, you know, I'd like to see the Raiders' win total be set at nine somewhere down the road so I know they're going to make the playoffs. Seven and a half is not a number to write home about but the Raiders have a home game in LA against the Chargers that's a Raider home game plus nine other home games so I put the Charger game in LA 
as an absolute home game for the Raiders. There's going to be fifty to 65,000 Raider fans in that building. So the Raiders have a favorable home schedule this year because they have 10 home games. The Charger game will not be 50-50 Charger Raiders. At a minimum, it'll be 70-30 at a minimum. I know that, and you know that too. Thanks to Tim Neverett, voice of the Dodgers, as we continue on. Mark Anderson from the Las Vegas Review-Journal is going to join us next. He's fantastic. We'll talk to him about what's happening here in Vegas. That was brought to you by the Henderson Hyundai Superstore, Boulder Highway in Henderson. I think the best dealership in town, the award-winning Hyundais, the crossovers, luxury vehicles, and a tremendous way to buy a vehicle online at HendersonHyundai.com. Fly ball into deep left center field on its way and gone into the second deck. Chris Taylor's third home run of the year. Two-run shot. Dodgers radio. Bobby playing some Charlie Steiner for me. He knows how much I love that. We continue on here on Raider Nation Radio. Mark Anderson joins us every two weeks. He's one of the best sports writers, not only in Vegas, but in the country. His cover story on Sunday, I couldn't put it down. Winds of change. Younger audience pushes pro sports on ways to connect. And Mark, thanks for joining us. I really enjoyed this column that I want to get into with you. How long did it take for you to put this information together about Gen Z and what these younger fans today are watching? Uh, I, I read a story about this topic in the Washington Post, I want to say in November or December. Um, so I talked with one, one of my editors about, I thought this would make a big story for us, and he agreed. And then I, I started contacting the, the leagues, and it was just, a lot of it was just trying to schedule interviews. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the NFL was uh, took a while because they were heading to the playoff time, and they were willing to talk to me. They said, "Well, can we wait to have the Super Bowl?" So, and and that was fine. And so I did. We had time on our hands, so or you know, time wasn't really a factor. So um, all the weeks were very cooperative. Uh, that made it a lot easier. Uh, the the person, the records professor, who's a Gen Z expert, was was extremely helpful. Uh, I believe he was the first person I talked to about this. Um, you know, talk to Don Logan. I tried with the local teams. Don Logan's really the only one I was able to speak with. I think the local teams um, didn't really know how to answer the questions about it uh, because mm-hmm. I think they take more direction from from the you know the, from the leagues rather than forming their own policies. Uh, and and, I'm, and UNLV didn't really have any policies, so it was it was really going through all the leagues. But they they were all very cooperative. It, it was just more of a time of trying to schedule interviews and, 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 uh, and, um, you know, once I got all the interviews done, then, then it's, it, then it's a matter of writing it. <laughs> and you have to, yeah. that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's not so easy. You gotta, you gotta boil it down, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so well, that's I was, what you I was do. real happy with it. Thanks. Oh, tell every, tell our listeners, what is Gen Z? Who is Gen Z? What category of fan is this? Yeah, it comes from generation the Zoomer generation. That's what the Z stands for. So it's it's really the younger folks who are growing up on modern technology, and rely on modern technology much more than the the generations that came before them. And it's roughly those born in the mid 1990s on. 
Um, so, you, you know, it's, you know, teenagers all the way to those in their what mid twenties, roughly, basically, or even younger than teenagers. So that's what, that's what it encompasses. And, you know, and they consume sports differently than, than the rest of us. You know, it's, it's more highlights rather than full games. It's more, um, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's, but the, the interesting part to me was the studies show they're strong sports fans and even stronger mm-hmm. than me of the prior generation. So I think that gives some some hope too. Mark Anderson joins us from the Review Journal. His cover story on Sunday is a must-read. Winds of change. Younger audience pushes pro sports on ways to connect. So I have two. I have a 17 and a 19-year-old, and I watch them consume sports. But they're a little bit different because I work in sports, so they see the amount of time I'm on the radio in the house, and I think they're more invested in sports than the average kid that age. But I'm blown away on how they watch sports. They watch sports on YouTube. They watch highlights. They watch clips. They watch highlights of the shows. Instead of watching all of Stephen A's first take, They just watch two or three clips from the show. So they're very focused on what they watch, when they watch it, how to consume it, and then they get on their headsets when they're playing video games, talking to their buddies, or they're texting. So it's a completely different consumer. But what does this consumer bring to sports? Because most of these kids don't have any money yet. Their parents (laughs) have the money. They're able to buy the season tickets. So what can we see by the stats and what they're eventually going to bring to the sports economy? Well, that's and you know, and, and that's for you the, the question, right? Is and this is this is the future. So even though mm-hmm. maybe right now they're not bringing much in the way of, of finances to the, to to the teams and to the leagues, they will. They're 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 going to be the ones that bring the most to. And we just know that they have to reach out to them now if they're going to get them to be fans of their teams or their leagues. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't wait. I thought the Tim Ellis in the NFL had a great quote. There's no acquisition plan for a 35 year old. You just can't. You can't wait till they're 35 and making real money. You have to do it now. You have to get them involved now. Interested now. Um, it's funny you mentioned your your kids. I got a 16 year old boy who's he probably consumes sports the more traditional way. Maybe because I'm a, he's around me all the time watching sports. So, but. He's he's more the exception than the rule right now from that generation. Mm-hmm. So they it's just they're there they're they're there to be sports fans and they're to be consumers. It's just you know I I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but I think it's going to look different than it does now. Uh, I do think maybe like you'll be have more of a betting emphasis. You're you're, you're yeah. starting to see that. You know the, the NBA game recently had an all betting uh, telecast. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes more, more the norm. Not, maybe not necessarily the main telecast, but there'll be that option there for those who are in, interested in it. Mark Anderson's our guest from the Review Journal. So let me ask you out of the four major sports, if we're going baseball, football, hockey, the NBA, which sport do you think's the best at marketing to the Gen Z, to the millennials, the younger fans, uh, where they're making the best connection out of the major sports leagues? Well, the, the numbers show the NBA is the leader right now. NBA. Um, the, the NBA, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's where the younger fans are, tend to gravitate. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that. You know, the NBA, the, the younger fans tend to like individual over team, and the NBA's been doing that since the 1980s, really. Um, you know, and then there's there's a whole whole social justice part of it. The, the younger fans tend to want leagues and teams that 
care about things more than just the sports. And whereas teams have, and leagues have been really reluctant in the past to wade into any anything slightly controversial, you're, that's where you're starting to see that happen more and more. And the NBA has really been among the first to do that. But I think the NFL is, is, is making a lot of headway. Um, you know, and, and, and I, and I thought I was surprised that major league baseball is making the strides it's making. I always think of that as an older fan base, but, mm-hmm. but they're doing some things with video and uh, right now that is gotten a lot of attention and they're really starting to highlight their players' personalities. And so I, you know, I, I still think baseball has its problems as far as appealing to the young, younger fans, but, but it, some of the things they're doing are, are making an impact. Mark Anderson, as we wrap it up, Mark, the Raider draft a week from this upcoming Thursday. I know you're going to be talking about it, writing about it. The draft will be in Cleveland. We get it back in Vegas next year. You know Mayock and Gruden and what's at stake here. This is a critical pick. They're all big. The Raiders have had five first-round draft picks over the last couple of years, and it's still a work in progress. Usually I wait three years to give a real evaluation. I don't think the Raiders have time now to have three years to wait on the 17th pick. Is it going to be right tackle, or do you think the priority and the message you're hearing is defense? If I had to put money on it, I'd say they draft a right tackle. Um, but I do think if one of the defensive players drops to them, who they have rated high, but their drops for some reason, I think call the trigger defensive player. But going in, I think you say right tackle. But the one thing I've Bobby, we got him, we got him, we got him on right tackle. The phone's breaking up, so we'll say goodbye. Uh, Good deep dive with him on his cover story, Winds of Change. Mark's one of the best writers in the country. He's that good. We have him on every two weeks. Check out his column there. Sunday cover story. Sunday cover story on the Las Vegas Review-Journal sports page. And he says right tackle, too. And I agree with what Mark said. What Mark said was right tackle unless a defensive player drops to them. I would say that about Patrick Sertan, who's not going to drop past number 10, I think, at the Cowboys. And if he's available, the Raiders, I don't think their priority is to get a cornerback now because with Arnett and Mullen, they just spent a lot of draft equity on those two players. But what about safety? What about safety for the Raiders if there is a safety at number 17? I don't want to see the Raiders take another safety at number 17. They just took John Abram. They have a safety already. I don't want to see another young safety come into the league and have to be broken in and have to learn and have to be in a position. And a couple of these mock drafts have the Raiders at 17 taken Trayvon Mooring, the safety out of TCU, who's the best safety. He is. He is the best safety. But do you really want to invest with another safety after Carl Joseph, who's back, after John Abram, what this team has struggled with in the past? If you want to do that, that's very risky to me, unless this kid just flies off on Mike Mayock's evaluation and they got to get him. I'm leaning, I'm leaning that they're going to take right tackle. I'm hoping that the Raiders take defense. I do. If they get a good right tackle who can play opposite of Colt Miller, and those are the bookends for the next, because Colt Miller's been signed long term, so they have him locked up. That would make some sense to me. But that kid better be able to play. And better be able to start. Start and Tom Cable, Tom Cable is going to be the big decision maker on that. There's no way John Gruden's approving of an offensive tackle, right tackle, unless Tom Cable's in that room saying, "I want this kid." Let's just cut right to the chase. That that is a decision 
that comes from Tom Cable and Mike Mayock evaluating these tackles and both being on the same page and telling Gruden, yeah, this is the guy. Because John Gruden is not going to sit there and tell you this offensive lineman is going to be the best in the draft. John Gruden's a quarterback whisperer. He's a receiver. He's an offensive mind. And obviously an offensive lineman is an offensive player, but that's why former head coach Tom Cable plays a huge role in this draft, in my opinion, because he has to sign off on this player. If they're going with Andre James to replace Rodney Hudson, Denzel Good, the depth of that offensive line, along with Richie Incognito and Colt Miller, that pick, if it's going to take the second round to get a right tackle, I'm going to tell you on this radio show that that right tackle in the second round is not starting. How could the 48th pick in the draft, someone taking 40th, who's never played an NFL down against NFL pros, how could you think that the second round right tackle is going to start in this league? No chance. He is going to be a projected starter coming in to training camp, but he's not going to start because he's going to be taken late in the second round. The first round right tackle for the Raider has to start. If it's Vera Tucker, if it's Rashawn Slater, I, I hope it's Christian Darrisaw. If he drops all the way down to them, that would be great. And then what I've said for a while, uh, Micah Parsons could fall to 17. Some people think there could be a character issue or two from college that he seems to have been cleared on. If that's the case, Micah Parsons is the starting middle linebacker for the Raiders, period. And no one get all emotional, especially you guys out there. Don't call me and tell me about little Tin Kwiatkowski. If they get Parsons, he comes in and he's the new alpha male. He's the leader of the team, period. He comes in there as a rookie if they get him, if he drops that far. Thanks again to Mark Anderson for joining us. One other quick point. A lot of people were talking about that YouTube fight. That was over the weekend, and as I was in Oklahoma, I noticed a lot of the, my son's friends were interested in that topic too. So they wanted to know who was going to win the fight on YouTube and how big was it and was it worth watching and how many people were interested in this. Well, I can tell you, those, those Gen Z guys were interested in Jake Paul versus Ben Askren, the UFC fighter. And I tweeted out, maybe instead of watching the Jake Paul fight like a stoned high school teenager, you should have watched Hagler Hearns, Castillo Corrales, or a replay of Ali Frazier 1. That YouTube sensation Jake Paul got 68,000 pay-per-views, pay-per-views for a fight, and he's a YouTube guy who doesn't box professionally. What does that tell us about sports going forward? The reason why that fight did so well is because YouTube is such a huge platform that millennials, teenagers, young adults watch YouTube and they watch stupidity. They watch great things. They watch talented artists, but they're interested in a lot of stupidity, which is common, stupid, quick entertainment. And that's what Jake Paul is. Quick, stupid entertainment. And he's in a boxing ring, so people bought it because we're in a pandemic and they wanted some entertainment. I don't knock that. But the problem is it's a bad sign on boxing because what's happening with boxing now, and this is a really important moment for Vegas, we have a Legion Stadium that should be hosting Tyson Fury, Canelo Alvarez, Bud Crawford, Earl Spence. If we can't make the Bud Crawford-Earl Spence fight and put it at a Legion Stadium, but we're going to promote Jake Paul fighting a YouTube sensation, and he's going to get 65 million pay-per-views 
or if, if you look at that number, then you got to question what is boxing doing wrong. And Oscar De La Hoya, who I've interviewed 20 times, and most of the interviews have been really good with Oscar over the years. Oscar was on that broadcast. He looked drunk. He looked out of his mind. And I said to myself, oh, my God, Oscar De La Hoya. Do you know how great he was? I'm talking great, one of the all-time greats. He lost to Trinidad. I was ringside for the fight. He beat him. I thought he got robbed in that fight. He he quit at the end of the fight. He didn't finish the 11th and 12th round, but he did enough to win that fight. Then you think of Floyd Mayweather. Conor McGregor wants to box down the road. Roy Jones Jr. comes out of retirement to fight Mike Tyson. This is an embarrassment to boxing. And Vegas should care about this because part of our global economy is boxing. And how many boxing fans we can get in here on Cinco de Mayo to fill up our hotel rooms. So if Jake Paul is going to fight in Vegas at T-Mobile and someone gets involved in that and he sells hotel rooms, that'll be good. But it's the dumbing down of one of the most important sports in the history of modern man, boxing. You don't dumb down boxing. Boxing is for the greatest of the greatest athletes who put their life on the line. And now we're sitting around buying Jake Paul fights, a YouTube clown, and putting him up there and putting money in his pocket, and we can't make the Bud Crawford fight versus Errol Spence. The promoters can't get the hell out of the way and make that fight. Tyson Fury fights once every two years. It's a bad sign for me. But the winds of change, whatever the kids want to watch, man. Raiders do a great job with their social media, and they're connecting on their YouTube page with all their young fans in the Raider Nation, so I support all that. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. Busy show today, busy show the rest of the week as we continue on, and we're taking your phone call, 702-365-9200. As we're taking calls, Bobby, did you say we had someone, or we'll come back next? Uh, we got to do the giveaway. You know what pisses me off when I don't have a caller on hold, but i got to give something away to now people that only are going to call in because they want free stuff. I'll bite my tongue. I'll bite my tongue. We are giving away a Vegas Golden Knight jersey to a qualifying listener who calls in. Bobby, pick a number from one to five, please, for me. Four, good. So maybe we can clear out the phones for a Raider call after that. I love the Golden Knight, so I want to give away a jersey. You qualify to win a Vegas Golden Knight jersey if you're the first call, fourth call at 702-365-9200. People love calling in for stuff. I wish they called in on the Raiders as much as we call in for stuff. But, hey, that stuff pays my salary. So everybody go fight for the free stuff. And then give me a good Raider fan before I get out of here on Raider Nation Radio. Martinez helps it left circle for Petrangelo. Checked against the near boards. Pacioretty with Stone on the outside left. Up top, a one-timer. They score! The shot came from Martinez out high. Max Pacioretty was right between the circles to get a deflection. Vegas takes a 1-0 lead. Turn it up. I'm excited about the Golden Knights and what they're doing. 
We talk Golden Knights all the time right here on Raider Nation Radio. And now they have the opportunity to do what I've been asking for them to do, stay hot, win multiple games, take care of the inferior teams that are in front of them, and get to a position where they could have the number one seed in the entire Western Conference. JT, back with you as we continue on. This is a really big deal for the Vegas Golden Knights here as we take a look at them tied with 64 points with Colorado. Uh, The Hurricanes have 62. You look at the National Hockey League and the overall best records in the entire league. Golden Knights are tied with 64 points. They are back with six in a row. Six in a row for the Vegas Golden Knights. And tonight is a really big a milestone. Patrick Marlowe makes NHL history tonight in Vegas. How are there not more tickets available for this game? 23 seasons, 1,768 games for the Shark. A guy who's played a long career here. And what a career. So he's going to play in the most games in NHL history. And he'll do that tonight in Vegas, which is fantastic. So even though it's not a Golden Knights moment, it's an NHL milestone historic moment, and we're really excited about that. Good to see Alex Petrangelo get a goal on a play where he came in from the point, got the puck, no one picked him up, and he hit the back of the net. Pacioretty grabs the puck and deals out to the left side of center. Petrangelo gains the line, walks right in, he shoots, he scores! Alex Petrangelo! Vegas takes a 2-1 lead. That was a huge goal for him. Got to get Petrangelo going. Okay, for the money he's making, the impact he's had, he's got to get going here. Maybe that's the goal. And what could you say about the MVP, the captain of the team, Mark Stone, the power play goal and the assist from Marc-Andre Fleury? This was special. Stone gets a stretch pass. He's in. He scores! Tucks it inside the right post. Mark Stone, the rare power play breakaway. Stone has a multi-point performance again. And the Knights now lead 4-2 in the last few minutes of the second period. Yeah, to do this on the road and for Marc-Andre Fleury, getting a lot of goal support the last couple of games has been really fun. The way he's scoring, excuse me, the way the team is scoring for him and he's making big saves. Here's a great save from Fleury. From the draw, glove saved by Fleury. What a shot from Raquel. He's listening to Gary Lawless and says, I can get 10. I might only have eight right now. And Fleury says, nope, Gary's right. We're going to keep you right there. Uh, So that was beautiful. And Tuck, who's a friend of the show whenever he scores, Tuck to get him going along with Stone and Pacioretty. Those are the three that have to be very productive. Another Tuck goal. Tuck looks toward an empty net. He scores from the right side of the neutral zone. Alex Tuck delivers the empty netter. Tuck has his 16th goal of the season. Vegas expands the lead 5-2 in the final minute of play in the third. That's Dan Duva on the call. We should get Dan on at some point this week. A Raiders sign, veteran free agent corner, Rasul Douglas. Hopefully he comes in and competes for a position 6'2", over 200 pounds in the new scheme. He could be a scheme fit. Uh, Vinny Bonsignor will have more of that at 4 o'clock today. Thanks to Bobby who put the show together. Tim Neverett, Mark Anderson, Billy Joel Holbert, and the calls that we took on the Raiders draft. Have a great day, everybody. Appreciate you listening as we count down to the Raiders' 17th pick overall in the first round of the upcoming NFL Draft a week from Thursday right here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Have a good night, everybody. All right, take care.